are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. It was originally inspired by the meaning and work research I've done over the last 15 years and now complements the work that I do at Insignium, a global management consulting firm focused on organizational transformation and breakthrough performance. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but first, let me thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. They are the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thank you, Jobbing.com. Last week, we were on the air with Natasha Saunders, the CEO and founder of the Youth Career Coach, who is on a mission to prepare the next generation of young professionals for success through career and leadership development training. We talked about her own incredible life adversities that have contributed to who she is today and the unique way she coaches her clients to find and start their careers right out of college or before. It was a warm, friendly, and wonderfully inspiring conversation for all of us. For this week's conversation with me is let me make sure I get her name right, Paula Sabeni. Thank you. Yeah, Sabeni, president and CEO of Tex Isai. Texas Wi-Fi. Texas Wi-Fi, a Texas-based company, and the co-founder of Neutrino Peach Labs, an ecosystem-based consulting company. She has 21 years of experience in information technology and business innovation, having held multiple chief information officer, chief technology officer, chief security officer, and chief operating officer positions in government and in the private sector, including multi-million dollar enterprises. We'll be talking about some of her career highlights she's most proud of that involve leading a team to connect with the organization's mission, often to achieve the impossible, and how her early career in psychology and studied to become a nun inform who she is today and how she has done her work. She is with me today in my office studio for this interview, and we're also broadcasting it via Facebook live stream. Thank Paula, so it's great to be to, great to have you with me, and right here next to me. I did brush my teeth. You'll be glad to know. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me here. Absolutely, I have been looking forward to this. And you know, we met when when I was speaking at a technology gathering about my research, and you were good enough to ask, and that's how we got acquainted. When we had lunch, and I learned more of your background, I said to you, "I have to have you on the show." And so what I thought would be really fun for our listeners to the best that we can is to recreate that lunch, recreate that conversation. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that I that I'll say as we go along here is that she is she spent many, many years working um, in Hawaii. And of yes. course, today is Pearl Harbor Day. So one of the things that made it kismet for me, too, was that you're actually showing up on my radio show on December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day. And you're you spent many years in Hawaii. So it's yes. just it had to happen. <laughs> Um, so if you could just start by helping us understand a little bit about who you are, what you're doing today, and then I want you to talk a little bit about some of those really fantastic points that just made you come out of your chair with light when you were talking about them, about your past career. Sure, glad to do so. Well, I started, um, actually I did not start in IT, and then maybe that's a conversation for later on in the show, yes. but my background is in humanities, and then I stumbled upon IT. And 21 years in IT proper, um, I ended up with uh, being able to manage as a chief technology officer of the entire state of Hawaii. Um, the steps that I took along the way were really fascinating because I um, I didn't plan it that way. And uh, I'm glad I didn't because there were many adventurers and people that I met that um, I learned from them so much. And they were not always there to teach, but you get to learn the good, the bad, and the ugly and, and what to copy and what not to copy. And it has been a very rewarding career because I was able to give along the way each time. And in fact, I was in a career mentoring uh, class the other day for a bunch of uh, junior high uh, kids. And... Um, they're accustomed to getting questions such as, what do you want to do and, and who do you want to be? But I pose the question to them, who do you want to help? Mm. And why do you want to help them? And uh, what do you want to give? And they were stunned 
because they hadn't been asked that before. Mm. And I think that's a very powerful question because series of questions because you walk away a lot more fulfilled when you have been able to work on something that you enjoy, that you love, and you are able to give in some measure, whatever that is, but you have defined that. Um, it's working on purpose, with mm. purpose. Mm, I love that. You know what that reminds me of too, Paola, is I had a guest on my show several months back, Brian Williams, who's a communications expert. Yes, I know Brian. You know Brian. He's, He's a wonderful human yes. being. Tremendous respect for him. But one of the things that he really, really talks about is before you ever open your mouth, know your audience. Yes. And what you just said there reminds me of that, right? When you think about what are we actually going to do for work, who are we going to actually serve, Yes. right? So we're connecting from... Run, not even thinking about what we're actually going to do in a day. We're connecting beyond that about how it's actually going to make a difference and who we're going to serve. Right. That makes so much sense to me. And why? I mean, that's going to be your, your driving engine. So you're going to overcome all kinds of obstacles because you know the reason why you are doing this and that will get you through the hard times and through the through the challenges and, and the rough days. And uh, also understanding that if that is a vision, then it's very long-lasting and it's going to come through your work. People are going to latch on to that. It's contagious. People will begin to behave the same way around you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Thank you for giving us that orientation. So from here, I really, as I say, I want us to tell stories. Everybody loves stories, yes. right? So <laughs> I, I merely ask the wonderful question of just tell me a few things that you're proud of in your career. And yeah. you had these terrific stories. So will you share a couple of those stories? would love to. Thank you for asking. Um, well, you know, when you are talking about the experiences in the corporate uh, field or having been a chief of technology or strategy or operations, um, you are measured by numbers and you're measured by how much efficiency did you you bring, how much innovation, how much cost did you reduce, and that never tells a story. So when you asked me the last time we met, I am by far truly pleased at the stories about the people. And, um, you know, in technologies, people, process, technology, and I'd like to say it's it's five items. It's people, 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 then process, then technology. <laughs> um, one of the stories is I had... Um, I had to oversee uh, multiple teams, and one of them was a team of COBOL programmers. And these folks had been working in the COBOL world for over 30 years and in the same spot. And um, their mindset, their identity was tied to this role. And they just could not see themselves beyond that. In fact, they were looking forward to retirement. And um, we were we had a huge initiative to undertake and uh, we could not hire anybody new and we could not get outside of our boundaries of our existing resources or time, etc. We had to make do with what we had. So my task was to really galvanize this workforce and not just for the purpose of the task and the project and the job, it was to give them a brand new meaning and purpose in public service. And uh, what was yielded from that was that not only did they just marvel at what they could do after all these years and after losing hope that they could do anything, but that was passed on to their children, their grandchildren. I mean, just they saw um, grandma, grandpa or uncle just all of a sudden creating mobile apps at age, you know, well beyond but they thought they could. And, uh, <laughs> I love that. I and just it was love amazing that. because they would come in to work now, um, coming earlier to work, staying later, doing some work on the weekends when they didn't have to. Nobody was paying for them anymore. And before they would have quantified that work very carefully, they were no longer doing that. And um, what I did also for them was I created an environment that was very open and uh, everybody, no cubicles, they could all see one another, just jump from one desk or another, very collaborative uh, kind of coffee lounge in the middle of the room. And they they just latched on to that because they were helping each other and they were loving the space. So bottom line, right? It's always about the bottom line in an organization. It yielded tons more productivity. It had a different disposition. They were looking for risk in a different way. So risk management was truly augmented, the the, the caliber of it. Uh, imagination, innovation, all of it at once because they had not just a purpose, they had a new life. They had a new identity in this role. And 
That's what people can do all the time. And it doesn't cost money. And it doesn't cost... Goodness, um, because you didn't have any, right? That's right. <laughs> it, it costs that somebody believed in them, that um, we pay attention to one another. We give each other time. We're present in the moment. And we give them uh, the encouragement, the hope that, yes, indeed, they can do anything they wish. And we're here to support them. And they did. So a couple of drill down questions. <clears throat> Excuse me. First, why was that so significant for you? I ask you what you were proud of. Why yes. are you proud of that? Um, I am thrilled because it looked impossible to the eyes of everybody that told me, you don't want to work with them. We have to get away around it. Uh, the project should be canceled, etc. It was a huge, huge project. Um, Can help us understand scale. What's huge? It, 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 let's say it affects 75,000 employees. It's massive. I mean, one component of those projects was 12,000 mini projects within it. Wow. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, 12,000 on one lane, 4,000 on another. So that's just within one of the programs. So it had, um, and it affected areas such as payroll, you know, big things. <laughs> payroll is important. <laughs> payroll is important. <laughs> Um, but what was yielded was that all of a sudden the repercussion across the organization was that um, impossible things can happen and can take place. And it takes commitment, determination, faith, hope, um, encouragement, and um, yeah, they do happen. I am just now reading a book, which I will get for all of you listeners when I'm on the break because I don't have the, the name committed the name or the other committed to memory but what it says in there there's a line in there that says something to the extent of our self-esteem comes from having um, persevered and, uh, and accomplished something very very difficult that's where self-esteem comes from and and I think that's really interesting so you've built their self-esteem by giving them giving them a task or a project that was impossible and in so doing they got a new identity out of that yeah and they built mine. I mean, it was such a joy to go to work during that season in my life because then all of a sudden, all of the smaller challenges and obstacles, even for them, they looked at it completely different, a new outlook, and nothing appeared unsurmountable. So in an organization where budgets are tight and, and constraints are high, you need that character. You need that disposition. And... Um, it was just wonderful. So that, that was one story. Um, in another, wait, wait before you go before yes. you go to the next one, I guess sure. a couple more things because I want to get as much out of that. I think sure. there's so much to that story. Yeah. Um, so, how did you know you were successful in that project? Um, and again, back to the measurements, right? So of course we had to deliver everything according to the standards, you know, scope and budget, um, making sure that all of the requirements were met. But that is not how you measure success. So success is measured in the experience, whether it's of the customer or the stakeholders, um, was the investment valued a property? And um, in terms of the experience for them, it was a win. Um, as a matter of fact, they used to call that project Disneyland because they just would love Disneyland. to come in. <laughs> yeah, and um, and then um, the the success that it rendered, the ability to open up other doors that looked like they were not going to happen because people thought, well, this is the mentality, this is who we have to work with, so let's not even try to tackle uh, those innovations, that transformation, because we can't with these people. And they proved them wrong, so very wrong that, in fact, um, in some cases, I would receive folks that other departments did not want at all. So that was my pool of individuals. It was the discouraged, the disgruntled, the, the folks that were not performing well at all and just decade after decade. So it wasn't just for a little while. And I would take them in as if this is a new day for you. And that's what they needed. So, somebody I, to believe in them in a new, in a new way. In a new way, and they had to get over their own disbelief. Because here you have somebody believing in you, and you're accustomed to not believing in yourself. So that takes a little bit of time. But then when they would see one another overcoming, then that triggered the accelerated pace. I really want to call attention to what you just said there, because I have done a fair amount of work over the years doing leadership development, organizational transformation, and I work with leaders, and they say things just like that. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh! I have been given the leftovers, and what do I? What am I supposed right. to do with that? Right. 
Well, you did something with that. Oh, I love that. But why do you love that? Um, Well, I got my first-hand experience when I was 20 years old. I was teaching at the university. And I had the 7.30 a.m. classes. (laughs) (laughs) And those were were popular. popular. Those were the classes where you got the students that had not performed well in others. And they were the leftovers from 101s and and 201s. And they had been, um, they had forced to go to the 7.30 class because it was um, like punishment. And (laughs) (laughs) so they already came in with a mentality of failure. And I began to test some theories there and to realize, no, they just need not just structure and encouragement, but they need a relentless belief that they will not just overcome, they will succeed so much that it's going to blow their minds. And Semester after semester, I started testing this, and and they would bond. So that was another thing that I saw that did not happen in other classes because together they came in as failing, and then they realized that together they were succeeding. It was beautiful. So what I find interesting about that, of course, as a development professional that I can't help but call out, is how you probably remarkably altered the course of these people's lives. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And I am sure, I mean, obviously we have all learned from one another, but we choose to keep what the, the good pieces that we get from others and absorb and learn and copy that. And then we choose to toss out the things that are of no value or that would hurt other people. So I was just a distributing center, a warehouse. I just passed on to them the things that I knew were good and they were worthwhile and they, they just took it all in. To their credit, right? To their credit. To their credit, absolutely. Yes. Well, let's take a a quick break at this point because I know there's another one of your set of experiences that I want to make sure and devote the next segment to. So now is a a good time for a break. Sure. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Paula Sabeni. Sabeni. That's right. Yes. (laughs) A 21-year technology and business leader and current president and CEO of Texas Texas YSI. a Texas-based company, and the, co- the co-founder of Neutrino Peach Labs, an ecosystem-based consulting company. We've been talking about one of the projects and some of her teaching that she's been very, very proud of and why, she, why that's important to her and the difference that it cascades to the organization and bottom line results. After the break, we're going to talk about another one that really made a huge impact all over the place, not just Hawaii. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. 
To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Paula Saibene, President and CEO of a Texas-based company called YC. YSI. YSI. It's an interesting spelling, so sorry about that, listeners. It keeps not rolling off my off my tongue. She is also the co-founder of Neutrino Peach Labs, which is an ecosystem-based consulting company. She has 21 years of experience in technology and innovation leadership and has a unique vantage point from previous studies and careers that inform her perspective, which we'll get to in just a moment. She is with me here today in my home office video or, or studio, I should say, here in Dallas, where we're also running a Facebook live stream session, interacting with our listeners via that medium. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before the break, I had just mentioned, I'll just I'll clean this up really quick here. I mentioned a book that I'm reading. Here it is right here, Facebook folks, if you can see it. It is called um, How Will You Measure Your Life? And it is by Clayton M. Christensen. Um, I'm reading it for my management consulting work, but there's some real pearls in here. And that's the thing that I was saying about how achievement shows up mm-hmm. for people. And why yeah. does why did, how does it build our sense of self-esteem? Yeah. So significance. For significance, sure. yes, yeah. yes. So, so um, we talked a little bit at, before the break about your work with the state of Hawaii. Yes. Now I know there's another really fun project that you mentioned over lunch that I really want you to share with our listeners because I think they'll get a lot of kick out of it. And Marvin, if you're still on with us, you'll really get a kick out of this too. <laughs> okay. Public library system? Yes, that one. Okay. that one. So I, um, I started working in the public library system many, many moons ago, and I ended up being the chief technology officer for that um, department for the state. It had 50 branches and two administrative offices across the state. It actually is the only library system in the country that works as one. It's not a consortium. And it was still in Hawaii, right? Yep, okay. in Hawaii. And um, we have, in the state of Hawaii, we have um, a lot of military bases, so we have soldiers coming in and out, and uh, definitely they were being uh, deployed to Iraq, Afghanistan, etc. And we wanted to give uh, way notice um, that these folks were really uh, not able to finish their education, they were getting deployed, I mean, they just messed up their whole lives. So... Um, through the library system, um, what I thought we could do that would be really neat was um, we could have a mechanism for them to be not in the front lines, but maybe on the second layer, second line of support, um, a way to increase your skills in technology. Now, this would be learning virtualization, learning SQL, um, anything that would allow them to come back and be certified already and hit the floor running if they wanted to get out of the military or if they wanted to stay just to increase their education. At the same time, we wanted to uh, kill two birds with one stone, maybe not kill them, just nudge them. And, uh, <laughs> and um, because the state of Hawaii is such an expensive place to live in, um, we had a lot of folks um, that would have two jobs, would have to work two or three jobs. And that's a way of life. So um, what could we do for them so that they would only work one job, get educated, not have to pay for that education by going to college, traditional means, get it at 3 a.m. for that matter, and uh, that maybe that's the only time they have off, and then eventually get out of having to work two jobs. So what we came up with was um, the IT Academy. Now, IT Academy um, was the first one to be deployed in the entire world. So the first library system to have an IT Academy happened in the state of Hawaii. And it was because of you. <laughs> well, and your team. Yes, and uh, what and, and and Microsoft listening. So what <laughs> happened was um, uh, 1,500 courses. These are the certified path courses that you would pay from hundreds to thousands for, like the boot camps. You could take them from anywhere in the world just with a library card as many times as you wanted. From the state of Hawaii. From the state of Hawaii, little library. You could be in Afghanistan and sign on to your virtualization and data center course, and then you could get certified and come back with more options. So we could not market because government does not advertise, right? Not in the usual ways, not in TV, etc. So it was a challenge to get the word out. And we had the top leaders of, of Microsoft uh, come by and help us launch it. And, and they were surprised, actually, at, at what we had done. Um, 
I don't think they knew the magnitude of it before <laughs> before they signed us ashore. <laughs> it was a little library in Hawaii. How bad right, could it be, right? right? Now, the, the other neat part, that took a lot of convincing from everybody. But the other neat part was that we also had to get free uh, laptops and free broadband from generous companies that would allow for this to latch on to their vision. So what's the vision? And I would tell them, this is my janitor in Library X. My janitor is a very hardworking person, and he or she works two jobs right now. Their 13 or 12-year-old is wandering around the streets after school, and that worries this single mom or single dad. The vision is for them through these courses. They get some certification. They can do web development from home. They can do whatever, stay closer to the child, and get out of the situation in a manner that doesn't cost them. Now, they don't have a computer at home. And they live in the middle of nowhere. How do we do that? Well, we got these uh, rugged laptops with broadband. And the other two companies, the laptop company and the broadband company, latched onto the vision too. I'm sure they knew what they were signing at the time, but they agreed. (laughs) (laughs) And together we launched this amazing thing that made um, every month 600 new folks um, add themselves to the academy and have the opportunity to change, uh, change their lives in the process improve their lives at least. Say more about that cascading change because I I want you to really bring that to life like you did for me at lunch about the real impact of how you tentacle and really bring that to someone who wouldn't otherwise have access to those kinds of resources. Yeah, and I think it's twofold. One of the things that I will always try to do for my team and for any part of government that I was a part of is remind folks that we have a real honor in being a public servant. So we don't often think of public servants as a a prestigious, honorable post because we have seen many that just don't live up to that. And uh, it is up to us to change that image and to say, no, it's actually you are the steward of so many people's assets and records and transactions that it is an honor and you have to take it as such. You would be surprised how many people rise to that occasion. There's no increase in pay. And there's no increase in the circumstances. Everything remains the same. But their disposition changes because they know that they are stewards of something very important. Now, when you couple that with how much impact we can have in society through a government entity like a library, that just just about everything in a library is wonderful. All, All layers of society, socioeconomic backgrounds, it's a great equalizer in the best sense of the of the term uh, because everybody goes there just to learn and to learn and to inform and to improve and to share and so libraries are very noble you know, pillars of democracy and uh, for me it was just a real blessing to be able to grab those two pieces those two components and say this is as good as it gets in public service because we have access to all generations. It is the toddlers that come and it is our most elderly seniors that come to the library. And they can all walk out uh, being fueled uh, for the next step of their lives with instruction, with information, with education. So I want you to comment a little bit more on something that you did and said there about cascading the the mission of your organization into the hearts and minds of of the employees. I think yes. that many many leaders who are listening to this would kill to be able to do that really well and quickly. How do you do that? Is um, it a matter of always speaking it, or how do you get that message in their hearts? It, it, I think that you have to be prepared first of all to be alone in believing it because they will test you. How much do you trust? Um, How clear is your vision? How determined are you? Because if they come along, they want to make sure that you are really leading all the way and for good. Um, I started with the the bottom layer of the organization in the org chart. I started with the janitors. I'm in IT, have nothing to do with facilities and all that, but I went through the janitors and I had conversations. If we were to roll this out, what do you think? You happen to be part of our system, of our process, because you turn on those terminals every morning for the public. So you are one of us. They didn't know that. So they felt very part of it. And then... You enrolled them. I I enrolled them. And then I... um, It wasn't convincing. It was passing on. And that's the big thing. I never sold anyone anything because I found it um, disrespectful. And I would tell when I had to convince CFOs 
um, of a huge program. I told them, I, I'm not really coming here to sell you anything because it would be insulting. I'm going to paint you the picture of possibilities. And then with all these possibilities, you have the decision to make as to the best path, not for us. This is not about us. It's for the citizen. It's for the customer. It's for the stakeholder. So when you remove all the glory, all the benefit, all the credit to the company, organization, government doing the work, and you simply push it to the very edge, it gets simplified. Because in the battle stop, but who gets the credit? It's not that it just, it doesn't matter. You won't get any credit. Are you okay with that? And they would have to come to terms. Am I okay with that? Yes or no? Maybe they're not used to that. Everybody likes to get credit, but I had to rule out all the variables that would be a sabotage or would damage it. So I would come in and say, this is hard. It's going to be super hard. Midway, you're going to hate it. After we launch, you're going to hate me. (laughs) (laughs) But you will see by X period of time how it's going to be so rewarding and people will benefit from this in this and that manner, etc. And it came to pass always like that. But not selling them was huge. Just giving them a powerful vision with foundation, not just a picture, a pie in the sky, but with real foundation, very well thought out risks and possibilities and problems that might arise so that they can go into it with their eyes wide open and then participating, having them participate so powerfully that I am just out of the picture in the end. So in the end, they don't remember who it was that created this whole thing because it doesn't matter. Um, They all did it together. Oh, that's what counts. Isn't this just yummy? I love this. You see what I mean, <laughs> listeners, why I had to bring her on the show? It was just, I had her over lunch, and I was just like, I have got to share this. It is so beautiful, Paula. Thank you. Thank you. So beautiful. And I might also tell our listeners, I don't know if you can understand this, but um, English is her second language. Um, yes. She speaks Spanish first. Vincent, she is just a beautiful English speaker. She's so eloquent. I still have an accent I can't get rid of. It's Please don't get rid of it. It's wonderful. Um, let me. I have a question I want to pose, but let me go ahead and take something that Craig Carter posted here. And I know that you've kind of refined it, Craig, so let me see if I can get to it really quick here. Um, he says, I find that some IT professionals struggle to connect with the, with the company's mission. We've yes. been talking about this. They only see themselves contributing technically. How do you get IT professionals to see the larger mission of the organization? And more importantly, how do you get them to connect to it? Yeah. So we've been talking about that, but say more about that. Yeah. Um, I found out how to do that about maybe 17 years ago. I took my team to the edge of the organization, the very front lines, whether they were cashiers or they were um, whatever the task was, I sent them out for a week every year. And they would come back with not just a clear picture of what was important and what was not important, but they would come back with suggestions for the mission or for the tactics to change. Uh, They would come back with a sense of urgency that I could have never inculcated. Uh, They had uh, uh, sympathy for both ends, for customer and for frontline worker. And all I had to do is tell them, go play, go in the front and just... uh, Lend a hand and and get the heat from the customer when they're not happy and see how you react. Because then everything changes on our end. Help desk changes. Our priorities changed immediately. Those numbers, the ranking was off and I was just waiting for them to do it. Because if I had imposed on it, they would have said, I don't think it's that important. Let them wait for, for this or for that, right? And no, they had to feel it themselves. They had to be in their shoes just for a week to feel that pain and then all of a sudden those rankings changed and uh, then the the creativity and the imagination latching on to the vision or the mission of the organization uh, having been on the ground is very different than from just looking at it from the sidelines so Oh, my gosh. That worked for me. It, I, I love that. And there's just there's nothing like walking a mile in somebody else's shoes yes. to really understand their lives. Yes. And, and I, I want to go back to a couple of things that you said really quick here. And that was this notion of being able to paint this picture where you can paint it well enough with words and imagery that people get enrolled. They see themselves in yes. that story. They see themselves in that future. And there's there's a place for them. And they feel emboldened and um, their identity changes because of that. That's what I'm hearing when you talk. Is that what's happening? And yes, but that was not my intent. So that's a side effect. Okay. It's my a side intent effect. was always that let somebody else be so benefited by your work 
that what you will get as a result is a tremendous fulfillment that is not about you. It's about the neighbor. It's about the next guy, right? Whether that's a customer, a stakeholder, a citizen, etc. Because that's longer lasting. I think that if um, I had started down the path of doing something that was rewarding for them and their career and the moment, it would have just lasted for as long as they were amused with it or for as long as they were entertained, or for as long as that emotion remained. This was not about emotion. This was about doing something, the labor of their hands, leaving a legacy to some extent, Mm -hmm. and making them understand that even though they're in the back end, it could be just programming, the quality of their code will save perhaps somebody down the line in that mobile app from being hacked because that quality allowed for greater cybersecurity as a result of them doing their due diligence. So that's how impactful it can be all the way down. And um, and having always that, that mantra had to be repeated over and over. It's about them, it's about them. And and they all, most of them, not all, but most of them would would want that. I understand that, which is mm-hmm. exactly why I host this radio show. Yeah. Because over the years, as I have been a media, re- work rese- or media work researcher, people keep saying, I just want to matter. And right. I don't know what kind of work to do to matter, right. but I just want to matter. And uh, that was interesting because there were some folks that were accustomed to getting the glory, especially the hardware guys, because they get to be right there with the people changing, doing this and that. And they get, oh, thank you so much. You're the best. We're so grateful. And they would come back all pumped up. But our network guys or <laughs> or the systems guys or the storage guys, oh, what about us? You know? <laughs> we never get that. But it had to be, it, it was on me to make sure that they understood the, the tremendous uh, importance that they have and the effect they have, and then make the customer also understand, have them recognize what happens. So what I would do conversely, in addition to sending my guys to the front lines, I would make the stakeholder and customer come to the data center sometimes and show them this is how it happens. And they would be blown away. We had no idea that it was like this or that. And do a little like show and tell, like open house every now and then, and have them appreciate the other end. There's so many things I could ask you about that. Uh, but believe it or not, it's already time for another break. Okay. So here we go again. Uh, time for a short break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Paula Sabeni. She is a 21-year technology and business leader and current president um, of... Texas Wi-Sai. Texas Wi-Sai and Neutrino Peach Labs, an ecosystem-based consulting company here in the Texas area. We've been hearing about one of her other projects that she was working on around the library system and her approach to that and really her magic sauce of how she brings people into the mission and the fold and connecting them to the purpose, the, the heartbeat of the organization. After the break, we're going to hear a little bit about some of her earlier background that's quite interesting that informs how she does her work. And we'll help you understand just how it is she probably pulls some of this stuff off. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1 888 346 9141. Again, that's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to Elise. A-L-I-S-E at EliseCortez.com Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Paola Saibeni. She is the co-founder of Neutrino Peach Labs, an ecosystem-based consulting company. She has 21 years of experience in technology and innovation leadership and has a unique vantage point from previous studies and careers that informs her perspective, which we're going to talk about next. Um, she is with me here in my home office, Dallas, where we're also running a Facebook live stream session, interacting with our listeners that way. Several other questions have come to the fore from over our break, which we'll get to in just a second. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So um, two things before we dive back into your background, because I really want you to share that with your listener, our listeners, because I think it's fantastic. First, let me get to another one of Craig's questions. He says, describe a few of the intentional things you did to present yourself as more uh, more than just an IT professional and signal to your organization that you're capable of leading more? Great question. Um, thank you, Craig, for that question. Um, perhaps more than a few things, I think I can um, guide you to what I did in terms of the philosophy, the approach. I ended up actually casting vision for an organization that I was not supposed to because IT is not supposed to cast vision to that extent. It has yeah. to be the business that does it. However, I did it for a time until the business could catch up and then I just went into the background. Uh, but the reason why I did it is because I was quite obsessed with the experience of the customer as opposed to the milestones. Let's take it back into like a retail, since we're in Dallas, perfect example of the retail industry. The retail industry and the analytics, they tend to measure things in milestones. They could be close together, but if it checks out that customer satisfaction measured in various places is 90%, throughout and yet the overall experience of the customer is 60%, there's something wrong that is not caught. And that is because they're, they're measuring again with a very analytical approach and they're missing out on the intangibles. So two things for IT that IT can do powerfully. It can enable that those intangible areas to be brought to the surface and to be made part of the benefit, either for the company or for the customer. And secondly, it does not take rocket science to just put yourself in the place of the customer and talk to the business as if you were one and just walk them through it. Sometimes if it is um, if it is HR, if it is marketing, if it is operations, they're so caught in their lane, in their silo, that they're hungry for some fresh set of eyes that comes across and say, well, let me connect all the dots for you. Again, it's a simple exercise that hardly anybody does in depth. And um, even if it means borrowing a customer and having a very articulate one walk them through it and you being the liaison through IT, just to highlight some areas where IT can indeed go in and make a huge difference for the organization. Lovely. Lovely, Paula. Very, very succinct. Oh, my gosh. So another question that I want to serve up to you before we get on to the, your, your background is, I think I, if I remember what you just said to me, is that you were the only female working as an executive at the state of Hawaii? Uh, in technology. In technology. Yes. Yeah. So what it was is um, not in every single part of my career, but definitely at multiple stages, I would invariably be in, in meetings, in situations where I was the only one. Um, it didn't actually matter to me. It was odd for everybody, not just for me, but for them <laughs> as well. <laughs> so everybody was uncomfortable together. <laughs> <laughs> and we just all got past it at the same time, hopefully. Um, I actually ignored it. It didn't really matter. What happened was that, and, you know, people can, can just be caught by if the age is different, if the height is different, if the looks is different, never mind the gender. So what you do is just you just let them 
be in that space for a little while, get all of that comfort or discomfort out, and then carry on with what the purpose of the meeting or of the of being together in that um, organization is. Uh, most people get past it because at the end of the day, they want to see what you can produce and produce it with um, an energy that is always positive. I got a lot, a lot of um, things thrown my way from people that one didn't believe that I meant to do what I what I did or, or as, as I was trying to deploy things or implement things. Um, they thought there were other purposes for it until they happened. So it took having to prove over and over that they were sincere and that they were fruitful. And eventually, even those that truly didn't want to believe that it was good ended up being good friends. So it just takes time and determination, all tying it back to the vision. Your vision has to be so strong that it will overcome all of the rocks thrown your way all of the obstacles to just keep on keep on trenching, keep on carrying onwards. Mm. It's so lovely to hear you talk. Okay, this is where I really have to have you share your background because sure. I, I, I'll never forget when we were sitting together over lunch and you uttered these famous words. Did I tell you that when I was in high school, I studied eight years to become a nun? <laughs> Did I mention? At which point all of these bells went off my head. Ding, 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 ding. Like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense because I felt like I was in the presence of an angel. And I told you that. I felt like I was in the presence of an angel. And listening to your talk, yes, listeners, nodding your head, (laughs) chime in if you agree with me. The way that you talk Mm. has an angelic, effervescent quality to it that I just can't Mm. describe very well. So tell us about this background of yours. Why did you want to study to become a nun? What happened? Um, so actually, at the age of six, I had uh, this this profound obsession with God, not not knowing much, but knowing that I had to be close to God, and uh, and I just kept on. I was at the time uh, in an environment that was very Catholic, so I um, that's all that we knew. And uh, I went to church actually every day. I went to mass every day, uh, every day that I could uh, when I was out of school, especially in the summertime. I would ride my bike a few miles and just go to the 7.30 mass or 7 a.m. mass. And there were only two other little old ladies with me. And... And to me, it was about how can I be a good servant, good servant, good servant, in very simple terms. And how can I just understand what the purpose is, what God's purpose is for me? And and what am I supposed to do? And how do I manage that? Um, Then I came to this country. I got to um, be very acquainted with the Protestant church. I do go to a non-denominational Protestant church right now. And uh, I just fell in love with the, even more so with the scriptures and dissecting them into Hebrew and, and uh, um, just uh, it, it's, uh, you know, that, that is my world. But what ends up happening is that in addition to that being who I am and, and my mission, it also simplifies things tremendously for me because it is either for good or not, right? So what am I doing today from 12 to 1? Am I doing something that is on on good purpose for somebody else in my work, how am I behaving, how am I leading, um, I'm accountable. So it has simplified my life quite a bit. So what I'm also curious, okay, what I also know about your story because I, I was privy to it over lunch is you were fully intending on becoming a nun until yes, your parents said, yes, I don't parents think said, so. That's right. Oh, thank you. I, I skipped that portion. <laughs> um, yeah. My parents said, no, 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 we want grandchildren. I don't think so. <laughs> That was the, was the point That for was them. it. And since I had to obey my parents, well, that was it. Um, interestingly, when I uh, went to college, I, um, I studied all of the religions intensely. I befriended many, many folks from other religions, and I saw their fervor. Uh, it was a beautiful time. I got a um, bachelor's in philosophy, which was very helpful. I got a master's in psychology, and I did my practicum when I practiced as a psychologist for a while. And then I got a master's in literature and linguistics before I ended up in IT. Okay, so listeners, are you starting to understand what I mean about this very interesting background of hers that I think really informs your some of the magic that you do? Um, I think that what, what I've done is I've collected ingredients from everything that I have learned throughout. So definitely um, the psychology has helped in many ways. It made, uh, it's amusing, but it made the best held desk um, that folks had known. So people would actually call the help desk and say, I just want to talk to you guys because you're so nice. You're so cool. And you, <laughs> I don't think I have an issue with anything, but I just want to call the help desk. 
What does that say? I mean, really? That, that was Who weird. calls the help desk just, to, just talk. to talk? So uh, we trained our guys to be very good servants of them, to just be, no matter what, to keep their tone, I mean, using some psychology um, solution-focused techniques, to keep their tone very, very civil and kind at all times, to understand the anxiety on the other end, the emotion, and... Uh, just to be utterly supportive and people appreciated that so the other side of the coin was that when problems could not be solved they would say that's oh, okay because you guys are so nice <laughs> <laughs> we forgive you it's okay we forgive. still give you a good review <laughs> right <laughs> right uh, literature and linguistics was a great training to help communicate with people understanding and philosophy was by far the most important but understanding that people use words to mean different things we could be talking about the same word having a conversation you walk away with a very different picture yeah. from me and and then you add in the cultural nuances then you add in the fact that maybe one of them is in a second language and the other one is not my goodness you could be war at the end of the day if you don't learn how to truly clarify in pictures and to leave it always open for the benefit of the doubt. By far the best negotiation techniques and mediation in, in, in high environments, uh, cabinet level, etc., has been always leaving the possibility of there being misunderstandings, uh, taking into account the benefit of the doubt, and in difficult transactions in IT when there are contracts that are multi-million dollar contracts and there's fighting, um, bringing folks to the with trust and and to the table to be willing to um, discuss things in a different level I think really that I, I when I look at you and when I hear you talk I see all of that come into play and I think I really think that your success and what makes you incredibly unique is that undergirding background of what you started your life with. I think so too. It was very actually laughed at at the beginning to the point where for many years <laughs> I did not even say that I had those two masters because in IT it just sounded ridiculous. What are you doing in IT if you have that background? But I think today we're recognizing the value of being able to just for the sake of understanding the business better, you mm -hmm. need to have other skills that are beyond technology and definitely to understand people yeah. Need that too. Paula, I wish we had so much more time for you. You have been amazing. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm sure our listeners do as well. Would love to hear your thoughts, Facebook fans, anybody else out, th out there in the audience. If you want to learn more about Paula Sabani and uh, Neutrino Peach Labs, visit their website. It's neutrinopeachlabs.com. And let me spell that for you. It's N-E-U-T-R-I-N-O peachlabs.com such a talented, passionate leader to, who to me represents how powerful authenticity and passion and leadership really, really can take us. It's Thank just you. really, that's what I get from you. Thank you so much. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you. Join us next week when we'll be on the air with Kevin Wheeler, who is a well-known futurist, speaker, author, teacher, and consultant in talent acquisition and development. He is the founder and chairman of the Future of Talent Institute, and we'll be talking about how he envisions the workforce in 2025, just in time before the new year begins. See you next week. Remember that work is one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Work.